Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined, as always, by my colleague from The Athletic, Stuart Mandel. Stu, before we start the show, we wanted to let our listeners know about The Athletic's Black Friday deal, which means starting Monday night at 5 p.m. Eastern, The Athletic's great writing, all of it, is just $1 a month for 12 months. Go to theathletic.com slash theaudible to lock in our very best price of the year, just $1 a month for new subscribers. It's the best deal going. Everybody knows how good the athletic is. I'm not just saying this in terms of our college football stuff, everything, you can get it, do it. Our Black Friday deal is ramping up very soon. It's perfect timing, Bruce. It's perfect timing for the Black Friday sale because it's right on, they're gonna be right on the brink of the playoff coming into focus coaching carousel probably right after thanksgiving will uh will go crazy so yeah one dollar a month Stu, as i as we're doing this over zoom i see you're in your posh hotel suite um somewhere somewhere in the 614 you went you've had some good luck at games meaning when you go to games they've been very compelling this one not so much Not this one no no you went to michigan state ohio state and by the time i imagine you got settled in your seat. It was already probably 14 to nothing. I guess you got to pay the price at some point, right? I mean, it was, uh, couldn't have been more opposite of when I went down to the field at the end of the Ohio State Oregon game two months ago and the place was going crazy and 100,000 people screaming. And is Ohio State going to be able to, um, to, to come back and take Oregon to overtime, which they did not? And then by the time I got down the field yesterday, the place was already half empty. It felt like you were at a spring game. Everybody's just kind of waiting for it to end. Um, and and I don't, look, I don't have some database of, of every game I've ever covered, but I can't imagine I've ever covered a game. I, I'm almost positive I've never covered a game that was 49 nothing at halftime, much less a game between number four and number seven. It was just um, Ohio State put on a clinic, uh, especially, especially a passing clinic where – um, CJ Stroud pitched the equivalent of a perfect game. His receivers were running wide open the whole game, the whole, or certainly the whole half before they got taken out. And Kenneth Walker, poor Kenneth Walker, the Heisman front runner, uh, going into the game probably has zero chance now. Um, he barely even got to touch the ball because they were uh, behind so quickly. I want to ask you, so obviously Michigan State has had a really good year. I think Mel Tucker has done a really good job, and obviously Kenneth Walker's been fantastic. Their pass defense, especially in the last three games, they gave up like 1,300 yards, and that was going into facing C.J. Stroud and the best group of receivers in the country. So it was kind of a recipe for disaster. Uh, before we got it, like, 
I do want to ask this because I feel like we talked a little uh, decent amount about Ohio State and how dangerous they are and how they could be a bad matchup for for Georgia. Honestly, they're a bad matchup for almost anybody. Let's look at this now in the context of it was a fairly eventful day amid a bunch of blowouts in terms of what we think we're going to get from the CFP. I mean, you saw them in person. I've seen them in person. I saw them a couple of weeks back. Uh, It's so good on offense. Very well coached, very talented. Where would you like Oregon has basically taken themselves out by getting whooped by Utah. So now that head to head stuff, we can we can put that to bed, I feel like. So now what do we think where Ohio State are you yeah. should be clear number two right now? Get Alabama out of there. They've scuffled. They, they had their hands full with Arkansas last night. They had their hands full with LSU and Florida. Those are not those are not great wins. And their only really good win this year is that is against Ole Miss. And um, to me, Ohio State is sitting there. They're clear number two. I mean, I think I should throw it back to you because it was only a few days ago on the Wednesday podcast that a, a listener asked why you've been so down on Ohio State. When are you ever going to get be sold on Ohio State? Are you sold well, now is what you're saying? I, did you not listen to the podcast the other day? Did you not listen to what I said? I said, check with me back on Check the- with me on Saturday. Yep. Yeah. Now, what I thought it would be would be like Saturday at 5 o'clock Eastern. I didn't think it would be Saturday at like 1222 <laughs> Eastern, but... Yes, I am, yeah. I am the, sold. The way I look at it, you know, what I wrote from the game is for, I feel like the last two months or so, everybody has looked at the landscape as Georgia and then a step down or even two steps down to everybody else. Everybody else is flawed. And at the end of the day, I think now it's there's two. I think Georgia and Ohio State are both in that elite tier. And that offense, as you said, I mean, I feel like they've assembled like if you were doing a fantasy draft um, and you were like, okay, if, if this fantasy draft goes well, I hope I'll get one of Chris Olave uh, or the other, you know, their other two great receivers, or maybe I'll get one of them, but I won't be able to get Travia Henderson. They got them all. And I don't know we've seen them. We have seen defenses like Nebraska's for one, slow them down a bit, but at the end of the day, even a great defense like Georgia is not going to hold them to 10 points. So, and then of course that, you, you know, you in particular kept wondering about their defense. Is their defense really that improved? They took the Heisman trophy winner com- or front runner completely out of the game. Uh, Peyton Thorne's a pretty good quarterback who, who had no chance against that defense. You know, I feel like they've rounded into, and this is what happens, right? And this is why, frankly, I was uncomfortable with the Oregon Ohio state head to head, even because I know some people might say, well, this is easy to say in hindsight, but it was so clear that they were going in opposite directions and that that result from two months ago wasn't necessarily indicative of where those teams were now. And Ohio state has rounded into uh, elite status. And, um, and then you brought up Alabama. So I cover the game. I write, I go back, I write my column and I'm driving back to the hotel. And at that point I've got Alabama, Arkansas on the, I've got the CBS uh, pulled up on my phone, but I'm, I'm listening. I'm not watching while I drive. I'm not that reckless. Um, and I'm hearing, you know, Gary, you know, Brad Nestle gets very excited after whenever. The, and I keep hearing another big play for Arkansas, KJ Jefferson to touchdown and then the fake field goal. And it's just like, I know Alabama is always going to get the benefit of the doubt because they're Alabama. But at one point, do we stop and say, um, I don't think this is this that great an Alabama team. If they didn't have Bryce Young, who was phenomenal yesterday, they might be seven and four right now. 
Yeah, I I don't disagree with you on that. I mean, it's it's weird to it's it's weird to say if they didn't have and you and and that if they didn't have guy is a is a great quarterback because I feel like great quarterbacks can can mask so much. But the crazy thing with them is, you know, I, I obviously we knew about Evan Neal up front. You know, Brian Robinson Jr. is a really talented running back. Even still in this game. You know, 36 carries, 112 yards. That's not awful, but that's not very good. They did not have a run. Uh, Brian Robinson Jr.'s longest run was 15 yards. And to give up almost 500 yards to Arkansas, uh, man, they're, like it's not to me, it's a it's a bunch of things. It's their defense is pretty suspect. Their run game is surprisingly shaky. And that's those are two things you really don't expect from a Nick Saban team. Um, so let's take a step back because uh, in your in your native state, Cincinnati, people had been on them about not looking impressive. They beat the heck out of SMU, and I feel like maybe I'm wrong here. Obviously, there could be upsets for the last couple of weeks of the season, but Cincinnati, to me, if I was a Cincinnati fan, I would feel pretty good about my chances to make the four right now because yep. and, and let me walk this through because I'll be honest I did not walk get a chance to see that much football on my TV last night because I was at my game uh we'll get to that a little later was a one o'clock Pacific kickoff so I barely got to see the the game you were at and really didn't get to see much till late at night so here's what I'm looking at so obviously Georgia assuming they went out but even if you know, I don't know if Alabama picked them off, Georgia's still in, right? So we think Ohio State, unless Michigan gets them or they get upset in the Big Ten title game, they're in. So that's two. Nobody is going to be there from the ACC. Nobody now is going to be there from the Pac-12. The Big 12, maybe Oklahoma State or Oklahoma can win the last, you know, win the, the Bedlam Big 12 double. Um, but even still... That would only be three. And then you got Cincinnati sitting there. I don't see how Notre Dame could leapfrog them. It's not like the, you know, Georgia Tech is really bad and you know the last game is not going to do much. So all of a sudden, Cincinnati, just win and you're in, right? Am I, mm, am I reading that right? I wouldn't quite go there yet. but well, Explain. Explain to me. Yeah, I'll explain. So Alabama beating for, Georgia would do it? Well, of course, Alabama beating Georgia would be so a problem for them. But, but even if that doesn't happen... I mean, first of all, I do think if Oklahoma State, who the most underrated or most overlooked really good team I've seen in a long time, they um, late into the game yesterday, I think with maybe a few minutes left against Texas Tech, they pitched a shutout and, and Texas Tech had less than 100 yards of offense until like the final couple plays. Um, by the way, Oklahoma State's become the Tim Brando special. I feel like he calls every one of their games. And, and, and nobody watches them. So they have no idea how good Oklahoma State is. But the committee respects them. They're already, what, ninth as of last week? And um, Do you if think they, if Oklahoma State were to beat Oklahoma twice and go 12 Well, if they beat Oklahoma, then they're going to play Baylor in the Big 12 championship. I'm sorry, okay. So if they beat Oklahoma, and then they would be, have to beat Baylor twice. I think they would be in. I think they would move ahead of Cincinnati because they'd be a 12-1 and even Our, ahead of a ahead of a thirteen and zero Cincinnati that beat Notre Dame, which honestly Notre Dame. Yeah, I just think a twelve and one Power Five champ is always going to get taken ahead of undefeated Group of Five. We've we've seen that in the past, and 
And especially because if they do win those two games, they're going to have three top 25 wins. Cincinnati at most is going to have two. So no, no, but at that point, right. You're like, okay, fine. Georgia gets one. Ohio state gets one. Oklahoma state gets one. And by the way, I don't know if that applies to Oklahoma. The committee's pretty down on them. I don't know if beating Oklahoma state uh, twice would, I don't know if they'd view them quite the same way. I think Oklahoma state has that defense to, 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 to brag about. And they don't have a, you know, their one loss was, uh, was uh, Baylor. Baylor. So, no, Iowa State, who no, is not. No, no, Baylor. Oklahoma's one loss was at Baylor. No, I'm talking about Oklahoma State. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it was at Iowa State 24 It was at Iowa State. It was a three-point game. Like, to me, they're, they're pretty, their resume is pretty solid. They don't have all the crazy close calls. and, and They actually you know. do have a lot of close calls. I'm going to read to you the – and this is not to disparage Oklahoma State, but just this is how close it's been. The first game of the year, they beat Missouri State 23. Well, they got, and before you go on with this, they have gotten a lot better. They had some some rough performances the first month. Yeah. This is, I think, why a lot of people probably haven't read too much into it. The first week of the season, barely beat Missouri State, beat them by seven, beat Tulsa by five, beat one at Boise by one. Really questionable call in that game. I know we talk about some of that sometimes. Uh, Lost by only three at Iowa State. And then they've gotten rolling, and it's like, Kansas whipped West Virginia on the road, blew out TCU, shut out Texas Tech, and now they have Bedlam. Bedlam, man, you know, I have did that game a couple of years. This would be a fun game to be at. And look, Mike Gundy is 2-14 and 14 all time against Oklahoma. So if, if you're somebody who's like, yeah, you tell me all you want about Oklahoma State, they always lose to Oklahoma, I, I totally get that. But at, they are the better team. Whether they'll actually pull it off or not, I mean, it is in Stillwater that helps, uh, you know. And and but I think they're the better team. And I think again, all I'm saying is I think they would get in over Cincinnati. And then the fourth one though would be Cincinnati, undefeated Cincinnati, or two loss Alabama. And for weeks I've been thinking, yeah, they'll still take two loss Alabama because they they will just point they to Cincinnati. To they year. default to Alabama, and they and they in the, the day Cincinnati will not have their schedule strength. But after yesterday, I'm like, at some point, you got to watch the games. And I mean, Alabama has made, they made Zach Calzada look like Johnny Manziel. Uh, KJ Jefferson is a good quarterback. I wouldn't necessarily say an elite quarterback. He went off on them yesterday. They almost lost to Florida, who's turned out to be a dumpster fire. Um, but even, even if you look at, at, look, they play a tougher schedule. I know that the SEC fans are going to be like, if Cincinnati was in the SEC, they'd be seven and four. Don't know. No way to prove that. But, uh, Cincinnati's going to finish with the better win. You know, Notre, they're going to have a win over 11 and 1 Notre Dame. Notre Dame. The best win for Alabama is that Ole Miss win. And they might even end up with the same number of top 25 wins if they beat Houston and Houston stays in the top 25 because Auburn's out. Um, you know, their, their top, Alabama's top 25 wins at this point are going to be um, Ole Miss. If Arkansas stays in, I guess they would be one. Um, if Mississippi state hangs around, like it's unclear to me if it's, they're going to have, I think they're both going to end up with two top 25 wins. And at that point, it's like, okay, what possible justification do you have to leave out the undefeated team for the two lost team? Question for you on this too. Yeah. I should know the answer to this, but I'll be honest. I don't. Uh, if Oklahoma wins Bedlam, they would play Baylor. No, Oklahoma state's already clinched. So, so, so they would play them again. My point is Oklahoma does not have a chance to avenge their only loss. No, and because they lost to Baylor, they're 
best like they <laughs> even as we go into thanksgiving weekend oklahoma still does not have a top 25 win so they will they would get two over the last two weeks against the same team do you see why i'm not loving their chances yeah i think what um you know it's interesting in this regard like they i think they may end up getting like they beat k-state k-state has a chance i assume they're going to beat texas that's maybe too big of assumption k-state would go to eight and four they might get in the top 25 then time out um, okay um oh okay yeah sorry i i I didn't follow. Got it. Yeah. It's not like a resounding win. They might get in the top 25. I'm just, I'm just thinking, um, I don't know. There's a lot of minutia in this. Well, so, but look, Cincinnati is, is in a lot better shape now that Oregon lost. And I think it'll be interesting. I assume they will be number four, uh, Tuesday night. I don't, some people speculated Michigan might jump them. I don't think that's going to happen given Cincinnati just, you know, blew out a, a pretty good, SMU team, Michigan blew out a very mediocre Maryland team. Here's another scenario. And it's irrelevant, right? Because either, uh, okay, go ahead. This is something that, I mean, honestly, it's not out of the realm of possibility, but it's just like, you know, we're talking about Bedlam, how lopsided that has been. Here's Here's something that also could bode well for Cincinnati. I think Michigan beats Ohio State at home this weekend to go to 11 and one. Michigan plays for the Big 12 title. I assume it's Wisconsin or is it Wisconsin or Iowa? Wisconsin. Uh, They would play them. Obviously, they blew out Wisconsin at Wisconsin earlier in the year, but somehow they lose to them, which is possible. You know, you got to play a team twice. So then Wisconsin is sitting there. You have basically four two loss teams in the Big 10 Wisconsin, Iowa State, Wisconsin, Wisconsin, Ohio State. Michigan, Wisconsin's the Big 12 champ with a two-loss team. And then, you know, what do you do at that point? I mean, I don't think a two-loss Big 10 team would go over Cincinnati. I would, I think so. Although, would they maybe still prefer two-loss Ohio State, who, I don't know, we're getting, now it gets really convoluted. I think at I the end of the day. Two loss, I don't think they prefer two-loss anybody with your 10 and two they might prefer two loss wisconsin at 11 and two because at least you have an 11 win. wisconsin has three losses already though so um no you're right you're right the the the, the biggest thing cincinnati needs to have happen is for georgia to beat alabama because if alabama wins both those teams are definitely getting in and i gotta tell you i know a lot of people are like a lot of people just refuse to buy in on georgia i think because stetson bennett's their quarterback and Alabama think Alabama will beat them again. I, I, I don't see that game being at this, as of this moment, I don't know how competitive it'll be because of everything you said earlier, if you can't run the ball and your secondary is not that great. Um, that, that's not a recipe to beat the number one team in the country. That's been so dominant all year. I think Ohio state could give Georgia a game and possibly beat them. If they get to that point, that would be, if I'm Georgia, I'd be, you know, more worried about that matchup than the Alabama matchup, though. Obviously, Alabama's beaten them so many times in big games recently. You're not gonna, you're certainly not gonna overlook them. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's talk about what happened to Oregon. I, I thought Utah was going to win the game. I did not think Utah was going to annihilate them like that. What? I mean, I thought they would win too. Now, I think one of the challenges, this game was 14 to nothing um, with about three minutes left in the second quarter. And it just felt like Oregon was teetering on getting, getting, uh, getting smashed. But it just happens so fast. And all of a sudden, it just doesn't feel like this Oregon team is a very good play from behind team. You know, and, it just, and once Britton Covey returned that punt, that was it was all she wrote. Yeah, I don't I mean, look, we've Oregon, you know, I don't want to use this analogy because I've used it before with 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 Florida State and Jameis. But Oregon sputtered a bunch of times. Like, I mean, they at one point had their hands full with Arizona. Um, they've, you know, they, they obviously lost to a horrible Stanford team. I know Joe Moorhead was not available in that game. Their play caller, you know, they had their hands full with Cal barely beat UCLA. I mean, it's been a lot of, a lot of, uh, close calls for a team that was number three in the country, you know? And I think what, you know, jumps out at me looking back at that game, because obviously I think Utah, I mean, look, these two teams are fairly similar in their DNA. Utah, 208 yards rushing. Oregon, 63. And I get it. Once once it becomes a uh, you know a blowout in the second half, that's what's going to happen. But I just thought you saw a team that is playing with a lot more momentum. They're in their home, you know, home environment. And it just feels like that, um, you know, again, and I give you credit because I'm pretty sure, at least I think you did, I thought you picked Utah to win the Pac-12 South. When a lot of other people were like, mm, I don't know what to do with Utah. You know, I know they have Brent. Keith. Back when people still thought USC might win the Pac-12 South. So. Yeah, we can talk about USC. <laughs> or ASU. A little more in depth in a minute. But um, yeah, I mean, look, Cameron Rising has played well. Utah, by the way, this is a pretty eye-opening stat to me. On third downs last night, 11 for 14. That's almost impossible to do in a college football game, I feel like, to have that kind of that kind of uh, efficiency on third down. I mean, you do that, you're going to pretty much win every game, especially if you have zero turnovers, and that's what they had. Utah's a really good team. They dug themselves a hole early in the season. First of all, they were starting the wrong corner, quarterback, and and I was totally wrong on that. I thought Charlie Brewer was an excellent, you know, transfer portal pickup. You for listen them to that too much, probably. Four-year starter, yeah, maybe. And they, you know, they they out of the gate, they lose to BYU, they lose to San Diego State, and any – you know, you're, you're now you're wondering if they're even going to, I don't know, go to a bowl game. Then they have an awful tragedy. Aaron Lowe is killed and the season could have gone any direction from there. And, and 
but it, it went in a very positive direction. Cam rising, um, you know, established himself as the quarterback. They did have that one weird, um, that one weird blowout loss in the middle of the season to, to Oregon state, but Oregon state's pretty good. Um, but other than that, yeah, they've been just trucking people. Uh, that being said, like Oregon is, if Oregon beats Oregon state this week, they're going to get a chance, another chance at Utah, another chance to avenge it. And that wouldn't completely surprise me, but at the end of the day, if you're an Oregon fan, how are you feeling right now about your season? I mean, I don't think anybody thought it was a given they would go to the playoff even after they beat Ohio state, but that this is now year four for Mario Cristobal. We know what an elite level he's recruited at. And yet, you know, you're out of the playoff race again, just like two years ago when they lost to ASU. Now that team turned around and actually crushed Utah's playoff chances in the Pac-12 title game. And they won the Rose bowl. So that ended up being a really good season. And I think if they do that this year, it'll still be seen as a really good season, but also a little bit of like, okay, are we, when are we going to turn that? When are we going to take that next step? We're good enough. We're talented enough to beat Ohio state. Um, and yet they're, they're they've just been very inconsistent. I know losing CJ Verdell was obviously a huge blow um, probably has kept them from being the power running team. They want to be. Um, but yeah, I mean, they were carrying the Pac-12 banner. They were the Pac-12's last hope to end that playoff drought. Hard to believe they've now gone, that league has now gone five seasons in a row without a playoff team. And yet it's not that hard to believe. Um, so this is where I'm going to jump in on my game yesterday. So uh, my crew was doing UCLA at USC. On Friday, we have our production meetings. And uh, my colleague Brock Hewitt and I were fortunate enough to sit in on Graham Harrell's quarterback meeting. Um to get ready for the game. And so while Grant, oh, Grant, while Brock and I were hanging out, just kind of waiting for the meeting to start, you're just sitting, you know, in the football facility, kind of watching the players go by. And it's not like you're at practice where everybody's in pads. You're just kind of looking guys at, you know, in sweatshirts and shorts walking around. And I was like, man, this does not look like any USC team that I can ever remember. And I've lived out here for close to 20 years. It, it looked like, honestly, if you told me this is Colorado or this is uh, I don't Washington. Arizona. No, yeah, like, no, Washington's a big team. It, it looked like if you said it was Colorado or if you said it was Cal. Cal. Um, Who had a know, great win against Stanford yesterday, so I don't want to disparage Cal. A very average Pac-12 team. And I was like, man, this is like, and when you start getting into it, their defense is really, really average, especially on the back seven in terms of like, I don't know how many guys in that roster are potential draft pick guys. You know, they have a, a um, you know, Thule, their defensive lineman's a good player. Drake Jackson's a good pass rusher. And Drake Jackson hurt his calf on Wednesday and was like basically just a situational pass rusher yesterday. The secondary is, is pretty dreadful. And going into that game, I was like, we were like, man, this could be, this could be a, a wild shootout because UCLA is going to score a lot of points on them. The question is Jackson Dart, who's very accurate, and there's a lot of uh, attributes. They feel like he's, he's an it-factor quarterback. But, man, I was not surprised to see UCLA put up a ton of points on them. And I got to say, I, know, I don't know how much you got to see, but like, this was the whole DTR experience. He throws two picks early. One of them, I don't 
necessarily think was on him. But then he, he scores six touchdowns, including at one point late in the first half, he scores a touchdown and ends up somebody hands him something and asks for his autograph right after the play. So he gets a 15-yard penalty for that. And then <laughs> later in the game, he has probably the most impressive, like guys now a lot in games at all levels of football try to hurdle tacklers. This is probably the most impressive like hurdle on the fly, like Edwin Moses, I'm not losing speed, I'm going over. And it was a pretty remarkable highlight. And, you know, he is a he has like an interesting uh, subject in this regard. Like I think in part because he's always been known as DTR and there is something where I think he has matured quite a bit in his time there, but the people inside of that program really rave about him and Kyle Phillips, who's their kind of best receiver and is a really good player. He told me during the week, he was like, you know, this guy's like hundred percent been mischaracterized. I mean, he's the most selfless guy you could have. Um, puts everybody else in front of him. You know, Chip Kelly kind of always talks about how tough he is. And it was a cool, you know, it was cool to see that kid in that game. Obviously it wasn't like a hot, you know, USC is really struggling. It wasn't like this was a Pete Carroll team they beat, but still to see him kind of have that moment, you know, given that he has been at times picked apart and dissected in, you know, in the LA market. And a lot of it, I think was, um, you know, he's he's a very visible person. I thought it was cool to see him have such a spectacular performance on that kind of stage. I watched, uh, I would say, most of the second half of your game, um, or at least was slipping between that and the Alabama game. And USC just looked like they, they had no interest in being there. I feel like the, the notion back in, you know, when they fired Clay Helton that it might actually help them have a better season just, just gone in the complete opposite direction. They're, they're totally uh lost and distant disinterested but but you're also saying and i think with a program like i think it's the case with texas too people default to well there's talent there you know they just haven't had the right coach there's talent there uh from what you're describing whoever they get as the new coach is going to have his hands full it's not going to be okay we've got a real coach now we're going to we're going to win 10 games next year there isn't that level like antonio morales and i did that story and part of it after Clay Helton was fired was about how the recruiting rankings in the case of USC. And I think I would agree to this with Texas were overinflated, maybe because these guys were chasing stars or maybe because sometimes these guys were got their stars bumped up because they were going to go to USC. It is not that way. I mean, like I, I know enough NFL scouts who were in, in the building yesterday. That is not, a top 10 talented team. I don't care what the stars from high school say. That's just not the reality. And you just see it. Now it makes it worse that like the one guy they have, who's a real difference maker was on crutches hobbling around that's Drake London, but you know, and, and there are some pretty good players and some pretty good young players, but this is so like whoever gets this job, I don't want to say it's going to be a massive rebuild, but they they are not anywhere close to a playoff team roster wise. Their their lines are not very good, um, and I think it's kind of caught up to them. And I think it's unfortunate for them just from knowing a lot of guys on staff. I think there's a lot of guys. It's just been so fragmented from the top with the leadership that whoever was going to take over as the interim, I just think had his hands full in that because it's just been 
you know, it's just, it's a complete mess right now. It's not to say that they can't make a really good hire. And I don't know how many of these guys, if any, they would keep, but there's going to be a lot of work to do just because it didn't fall apart overnight. But I think the biggest takeaway for me was this is what happens when you have a lame duck head coach who's been on the hot seat for three years and how hard it is to recruit like that class that was like ranked 62nd or whatever it was like, those are guys that you would have need to be on the lines. Cause that was a heavy offensive defensive line group. And it just, just hasn't done much. I mean, so, and, may, and maybe some of these guys will turn out better over the next year or two, but I just think it's just, they are really, really lacking right now. Okay, folks. I think, um, we just had a first in podcast history. Um, as Bruce was talking about USC just there, uh, Matt Zenitz from on3.com reported that Florida has parted ways with Dan Mullen. And then I got to sit here and watch Bruce confirm it. I say listen to Bruce confirm it. The little bloop sound that a text message makes, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Okay, confirmed. So there we have it. I don't think this is a surprise that it happened. Maybe the timing a little bit, but man, last night when I was going to bring it up anyway, but just the final straw of a disastrous season, Florida losing in overtime to Missouri, Missouri went for two and got it. And you don't see this very often. A head coach come into the post-game press conference and just brazenly troll the other guy. Um, Eli Drinkowitz. And I, I had, had you, did you even remember that the Dan Mullen, Darth Vader thing was after a Missouri game last year? I didn't. I'll be honest. So this morning, my kid has a soccer game. We're walking back. Andy Staples, who's obviously, you know, knows Florida in and out and is based there, uh, called me and I asked him about that. Um, and he said, well, like he, he brought up that there was, I guess, almost a fight and a scuffle in that game earlier. And I don't think Eli Drinkwitz was happy with how Dan Mullen handled it either. And I was like, I don't even remember that. I do remember Dan Mullen and you and his staff almost getting into it with uh, Derek Mason and the Vandy staff yeah, a couple of years, couple years that ago. I remember this. I didn't remember. And I didn't, it was surprised me because I didn't think that was in character with Drinkwitz um, necessarily. Yeah. It, it, it's, it, it just shows you how, when things are going well, like when Mullen did that last year, it was kind of goofy, but I didn't really think much of it. Halloween. The game was on Halloween. He came in in a Halloween costume, came in a Darth Vader costume. It didn't occur to me that, that would offend somebody uh, or make somebody mad. It clearly did because the length Drinkowitz went to, he has a toy lightsaber like sitting there under the lectern, ready to pull out at the end, puts the hoodie over his head, says, may the force be with you. If you watch the video of it, you will hear an audible gasp. I don't know if it's from one of the reporters or, or somebody else. It's just like, whoa, he went there. Um, I don't think that's the reason Dan Mullen got fired, but it was like, that, that'll end up being the last image of the Dan Mullen era. That's the equivalent uh, of the tarmac for Dan Mullen. That's the Dan Mullen. He got, he got lightsabered. Uh, <laughs> just crazy what happened to go from that, Flo that Florida-Alabama game in week three. Florida almost won that game. They were you know, two-point conversion away from going to overtime. Then they crushed Tennessee the next week. It seemed like all is well and dandy in Gainesville. And then it just went completely off the rails. And Scott Strickland didn't have a choice at this point. And, and they are playing Florida State this week. Both teams are now five and six. So it's like winner goes to a crappy bowl, loser's out. 
just a just a kind of a pathetic chapter in that rivalry. But Florida State was rebuilding. If anything, if they get to a bowl, that's a, that's a win for Mike Norvell in, in year two. For Dan Mullen to go from, you know, what were they? I think they were ranked as high as sixth in the country last year um, before they lost to LSU. Um, they were ranked in the top ten in October in early October. And then they lose to Florida. They beat a horrible Vandy team. And then this is where I think it it went. They got they got whipped at LSU by half a team. That's, that right? was the beginning of they the end. They were a double yeah. digit favorite. They could not stop LSU. By the way, LSU couldn't run the ball at that point. And then all of a sudden, LSU looked like they didn't look like a great team, but they they whipped them. And then they get thumped by Georgia, which is expected. And then they get blown out at South Carolina, barely beat Samford, and then obviously lose in overtime to Mizzou. Dan Mullen lost nine of his last 11 games against Power 5 opponents. Even more crazy, five of those teams were unranked, right? So Alan Taylor and I worked on that story, which I feel like I've tweeted out probably more than anything I've ever written. Maybe not, that's not true, but like in part because... Once this after the story came out, it like lived up to it as much where all the issues that other SEC coaches talked about soft, undisciplined, unfocused, uh, the the recruiting had really tailed off. And then it was like Dan Mullen's excuse making. One of the coaches said that was a poor, you know, it was a poor um, vibe inside the team, a lack of accountability starting at the top. All those things became even more apparent on the field after that LSU game. You know, they lose to Georgia, then they get embarrassed by South Carolina. You know, it's just the program literally fell apart. Maybe not literally, literally it's too strong. The program fell apart right there. And I don't think anybody in college football or in the state of Florida would have told you back in early October, Dan Mullen of the three power, big three in programs, the first guy fired would be the guy at Florida, not the guy at Florida State, not Manny Diaz, Dan Mullen. When it it just it just completely fell apart, and and I don't know, maybe in a pre, maybe ten years ago, maybe in another era of college football, they'd say, well, you know, in fact, actually, this did happen with Will Muschamp. Remember they they won twelve games and they went to the Sugar Bowl and lost to Teddy Bridgewater, um, and and. The next year, they went four and eight and lost to lost to Georgia Southern, right? When they were still an FCS team, and he came back. You know, he got fired the next year, but but it was kind of a okay, maybe that was just one bad year uh, sentiment. You don't get that one bad year now, especially not when when everything else is going wrong too. I mean, it's just been apparent for some time that he can't recruit at a level you need to recruit to to win national championships which is what the standard is for florida football kirby smart recruits at that level dan mullen does not so um this raises the obvious question and 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 in a market where lsu and usc are already open who who would you peg as the possible next coach of the florida gators off the top of my head i don't know if you can get dan quinn to come back to gainesville i think billy napier to me if i was Scott Strickland, I would look really hard at Billy Napier. Um, I feel like there's there's some good some good options, but there are not enough good coaches to fill. You mentioned USC and LSU. 
There's also Virginia Tech out there. That's a really good job. That's um, not, but that's not going to, they're not going to beat out Florida for a coach. I don't think. You wouldn't think. You would not think. Um, I don't know. Man, like the thing with Florida is interesting in that somewhere Dan Mullen kind of fit in the category between, all right, Urban Meyer obviously was a grand slam coach. He won multiple national titles, did not work out for Ron Zook, who obviously was a good recruiter, did not work out for him, did not work out for Will Muschamp. Jim McElwain had some good moments, won the SEC East, but then it just completely imploded. You know, it imploded for Dan Mullen. I like, and again, I bring up the Muschamp part because like Dan Lanning is a really well thought of defensive coordinator at Georgia. I don't know if Florida, I mean, it shouldn't be that like, oh, well, it didn't work out with the Muschamp, so we can never hire a first time defensive guy as a head coach at this level, you know, but I don't know what, you know, I think it's too big a job to hire a coordinator and, um, and frankly, I mean, you know, you said Billy Napier. I agree. He'd be a really good hire. And I wonder if even he wouldn't satisfy the fan base. I don't know what huge name they're expecting. Put it this way. Would you go after Matt Campbell? That doesn't seem like a good fit. Am I, 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 maybe I'm wrong, but um, would you go after Luke Fickle? Well, yeah, I would go after Luke Fickle. I, I mean, I don't know if he'd be more inclined to go to Gainesville than he would uh, to you know, if I was, if I was, here's the thing. And I wondered about this a little bit from the Scott Woodward, the AD at LSU side, you know, it's like, okay, if you can't get Jimbo Fisher, probably you can't get Lincoln Riley. I would go after Luke Fickle if I was him. I mean, if like, I don't know if, if I'm Luke Fickle, would I be more inclined to go to LSU or Florida? I if, think if the, I the sentiment in Cincinnati, since I was just there on uh, Friday is that the jobs they would worry about losing him to if they ever came open are Ohio State, Notre Dame, Penn and Penn State. Right. I don't know that Florida or LSU has ever even crossed anybody's minds. So, so I, I, have, I there's no way to know whether he would be interested or not. They could certainly throw a lot of money at him, um, but he's also in a position where he can be choosy. I know this, and look, we haven't even talked about the Mel Tucker. You know, I don't think it's a done deal, but the reported. $95 million contracts that Michigan state is supposedly working on for him um, with the, with the benefit of two donors. If he's, if he's off the market, there's no way LSU, USC and Florida are all going to hire coaches that their fans think that was a great hire. There aren't, there aren't three guys. We can't name three guys. Uh, you know, Bob Stoops, I don't think is, is going back into coaching. Um, or there, I know we speculated early in the season Urban Meyer might come running back. I, I don't know how real there are not three names that those three fan bases would be like, that guy is, is a home run hire for our school. Do you agree? I would absolutely agree. I would absolutely agree. I don't know, you know, right now Florida's recruiting was kind of in the toilet by sec standards. Anyway, now here we are, it's basically Thanksgiving weekend. The, the early signing period is not far off. You're going to start a coaching search. I don't know what they do. I mean, I really, you know, LSU has had a couple of, you know, and he's been working on that coaching search long before he fired uh, Ed Ogeron. So I don't know what Florida does to jump into the middle of this right now. Do you I get, think, you know, the fact that we're, here's one candidate I think would be interesting. And I, I feel bad just throwing it out there for Kentucky fans. 
But like Mark Stoops is a really good coach. He's done a really good job in the SEC. He knows how to recruit. His teams play hard. They're physical. He can develop players. Mark Stoops should be getting calls by, by a lot of places. He should be getting called by USC. He should be getting, he probably should be getting called by uh, Scott Woodward at this point. And I would think he should be definitely getting called by Scott Strickland. I'm not saying he should leave, you know, but I think he should be on people's radar. I mean, he's a good, he would coach. make, he I think that. of the three. Yeah. I think Florida would make the most sense for him having coached in that state uh, quite a bit. Do you leave, do you leave Kentucky where he is a, a, a hero for going nine and three to Florida where you can go, you can get fired one year after going nine and three. That's the, that's the, what I don't know, the $12 million question. When you were listing off like Zook and Musch, I was just, it's just, it's, it's staggering how many coaches they've gone through given that they had Steve Spurrier for, I think 12 years, right. As stable as it comes. They didn't, I don't even remember how many years urban ended up there, but he could deliver them two national championships. And then every other guy has been crash and burn. Um, some of them, you didn't have high hopes. You know, I didn't necessarily have high expectations for certainly for Zook, who I honestly had never heard of the day that he was announced. Um, that was a long time ago. Um, I didn't know if Jim McElwain would make it or not, but I really did think Dan Mullen would do well there. Um, both of us had a lot of respect for what he did at Mississippi state. He had the, the history of Florida working there for urban Meyer, just, didn't, couldn't recruit, which you got to be able to do at a job like that. Yeah, I, yeah, that's it's, and you got to recruit at a super high level. Look, Dan Mullen was able to compete with, uh, with Hugh Freeze for a couple of big, big time guys, you know, in the state of Mississippi. Obviously, Jeffrey Simmons was one, Chris Jones. I mean, I'm sure there was, there was others, um, you know, that, that they got there. But just consistently to get top hundred players, he just couldn't close. I mean, it's all, you know, I don't want to say it's like the Clay Helton thing where you talk to people and they're like, yeah, the head coach needs to be a lot more of a factor on it. And that just, just did not get it done. I mean, well, firing your coach is the easy part. Hiring a new one is the hard part. And you, this, what a market, you know, you mentioned Virginia Tech, Washington, I think is a pretty good job. Um, you know, we think possibly ASU will come open. That's probably more of a, a West coast centric job. Um, I think makes- I, th- one thing I think might happen, I think the Washington state job, I think they may have found their head coach in Jake Dicker, the interim, Interesting. He's done a really the acting head coach. He's done a really good job there. I know they have been impressed with him. That might, I, I, again, I'm not going to report it that it's a done deal. I think the more time passes, it's like, yeah, maybe we should keep this guy. You know, Washington State, I, it didn't even occur to me until Oregon lost last night that this was a possibility. There is still a scenario where Washington State goes to the Pac-12 title game. They're 6-5, and five, but they go to the Pac-12 title game uh, if they beat Washington and Oregon loses to Oregon State. That would, that would be, a very, very, that'd be a very Pac-12 thing to have a 7-5 and five team that fired its coach halfway through the season due to a uh, uh, COVID vaccine mandate uh, playing for the conference championship. It'd be though. Yeah. I think on Wednesday's show, um, which is right before Thanksgiving and usually all hell breaks loose in the coaching market the Sunday after Thanksgiving. So I think on Wednesday's show, we might go school by school in terms of schools that either have openings or we think will have openings. 
and and check in and see where we think they are uh, on the coaching carousel. You should also send your emails to the audiblepod at gmail.com. I suppose we may also have to react to if there's some uh, unexpected development in the in the playoff rankings Tuesday night. I'm sure uh, Gary Barter will say something that will, you know, infuriate you, Bruce, and we'll have to <laughs> we'll have to acknowledge that on Wednesday morning. So uh, there'll be a lot to get. To. It's that time of year. This is when it all converges. There will be a lot to talk about this week. Uh, and, and certainly as we get into Ohio State, Michigan, and, and Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and some other big games next weekend. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.